welcome to the only podcast on the internet about movies. You are listening to Total Reboot, and my name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and it is my esteemed pleasure to crack into our heist miniseries. That's right, over the next few weeks, Cameron, James, and I are going to be talking about heist movies. Some of our favorite heist movies, some of the most iconic heist movies, but most of all, some of the freaking coolest heist movies. We want to explore why we love this genre so much. It's both one of our favorites, we love heist movies, and I <laughs> and I really do think that there is something more to them and more why we love them and more why we connect to them than they're just freaking cool. Cuz that's undeniably the thing about heist movies. They're freaking cool. And to kick things off, it felt absolutely ridiculous to not look at what is perhaps the most iconic modern heist movie that we could possibly think of, which is, of course, Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven and its sequels, Ocean Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen. So we are rebroadcasting one of our very, very favorite episodes of Total Reboot, one of the earliest episodes of Total Reboot, and it is a real blast. It's so funny, this episode. I really love it. And I was so surprised by re-listening to this episode to re-edit it for you guys, how interesting it is, because it was from a a recent rewatch. Neither of us had seen the movies for a very long time. And it was like rediscovering them completely. It was so fun listening to this episode because I've watched those movies so many times since we did this one all those years ago. And it is like the first glimpses to what my relationship with those movies are now. Same for Cam, who's a big Steven Soderbergh guy. I think that these this is a really good like reevaluation of those movies especially Ocean's 12 and a very fun look at the original Ocean's 11 saying Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack so enjoy this episode it's a really cool one it's a fun one to go back and revisit the podcast in its most primordial form and next week we're going to be continuing with Dog Day Afternoon, starring freaking Al Pacino, John Cazal, Carol Kane, Chris Sarandon. It is one of my favorite movies. I'm really looking forward to diving into this miniseries head first, babe, and really getting stuck into heist films. So enjoy this rebroadcast of Ocean's Eleven. Stay tuned for Dog Day Afternoon. And look out for what the other movies are across our socials on Twitter or Facebook or Patreon. We will be announcing what the rest of the miniseries will be built up of fairly soon. So enjoy this episode and stay out of trouble, okay? Okay. Hey Jungle Babies, welcome to Total Reboot, the podcast that goes through the remakes, reboots, and indeed rip-offs of cinema. My name is Frank Sinatra, (laughs) and sitting opposite me is Dino Martin himself. How lucky could one guy be? Wow. I podcast and you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cameron, of course, and that's Alexi. How's it going? Very well, thank you, Cameron. How are you, my uh, dear? I feel good. I feel great. I'm excited about these episodes, um, largely because it's not about Star Wars. We have left a galaxy far, far away and returned from whence we came... 
the galaxy that includes Earth. The galaxy of the Milky Way. <laughs> oh, Is the solar the, system. Yeah, the solar system, the Milky Way that we famously live in. We live on the third rock from the sun. Mm, yes, the same planet John Lithgow calls home. <laughs> <laughs> and while we may have left a galaxy far, far away, for this episode we're returning to a time far, far away, or perhaps an aesthetic Far, far away. <laughs> a romantic ideal, perhaps. Yeah, we're talking about the Ocean's Eleven movies for these next two pods. Yeah, the first episode we're mainly going to be talking about the Ocean's Trilogy. Yeah. Steven Soderbergh's films from the early to mid-2000s. My favourite trilogy. Oh, uh, your trilogy. It's my trilogy. Some I've, people love Star Wars. I've got the Star Wars films, you've got the Ocean's <laughs> films. Yeah, uh, the Ocean's Expanded Universe is really good, or Ocean's Legends, as it's now Ocean's been Ocean's Legends, yeah. You know, the offshoots of Don Cheadle's life growing up as a young cockney boy yeah. in England. I want to hear more about the origins of Basher. For example, <laughs> how did he get the name Basher? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. But of course, that's not where it begins. It begins in the 1960s. Yes. I say we dive right into Ocean's Eleven, and as you teased before, mm-hmm. this isn't all Soderbergh. The story of Danny Ocean and his mischievous (laughs) bandits dives back to the 1960s itself. Mm -hmm. I uh, did not watch the original because you told me not to. I told you not to watch the original (laughs) 1960 Rat Pack starring Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Uh, I watched it myself because I thought, hey, maybe we'll do a full episode on that one. You know, start at the beginning. This is a podcast all about talking reboots and remakes. We should be starting at the beginning. Sure. I watched the movie. I deemed there would be not enough for a two-sided conversation (laughs) (laughs) about this. Uh, I thought I'd just give you a little exposition dump about what the original 1960 Frank Sinatra vehicle, Ocean's Eleven, is all about. So, the original film is directed by a guy called Lewis Milestone, um, who I was not really familiar with by his name. And from this movie, I thought, oh, this guy's probably just did lots of, like, turds. Yeah. The guy directed All Quiet on the Western Front, the original. Oh, wow. He directed uh, the Marlon Brando Mutiny on the Bounty, okay. which is something that I'm sure we're going to talk about because there's a million versions of that mm. exact story. He also directed The Front Page, which itself became a remake in His Girl Friday, and then was remade oh. again, where they had a gender flip in that mm. in that film, and then it was remade again as the front page with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. So Your favorite, one of my fa- my original Rat Pack, yeah, <laughs> the Lemonheads, the grumpy old men, <laughs> and then he did Of Mice and Men, which of course is a million versions of that okay. as well. Pork Chop Hill. So he's ca- kind of made some iconic films. This is. I guess become one of his iconic films you know through what? legend. I think that what's iconic about this Ocean's Eleven is that photo of the Rat Pack standing on the like drive into Vegas yeah. with the Welcome to Vegas sign and the billboard behind them with their own names on. I think I, that I, is more iconic than this movie. Well, that's pretty much what that movie is. This movie is... It, I'll tell you everything that Soderbergh took from this film and okay. kind of what this film originally was. So, the way that I think about this movie is that it was grown-ups of the 1960s. <laughs> and by that, I mean it's the Adam Sandler movie where it's become legend, Hollywood legend, that the only reason movie that, exi- that movie exists is because Sandler wants to go on a holiday with all his friends, mm. go camping, so they decide to make a movie around it so they could just get paid vacation. Yeah. This movie is basically that. There's, okay. like, very little plot and it's just... Frankie, Dino, Sammy, Joey Bishop, Peter, 
Pete, old Pete's there. Pete Lawford. Pete Lawford's there <laughs> hanging out. So it's mainly just that that crew going around and the whole thing is set on New Year's Eve, pretty much. Oh, and the whole Old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne is a big part of the film. My favorite, really? My favourite song. That is your song. It's my walk-on song it's when I do stand tone, up. It's, it's my, It actually is my doorbell tone, though. <laughs> <laughs> when you ring my doorbell, Old Lang Syne does play. <laughs> But uh, the whole thing is set on New Year's Eve and they want to do a, a heist on the five biggest casinos that are talking the Bellagio and the rest. <laughs> Mirage. The Mirage. The Sands. The Saharan or whatever they Circus Circus. Sahara, Riviera, Wilbur's Clarks, Desert Inn, the Sands and the Flamingo are the ones that they want to rob. Hey, by the way, have you been to Vegas? Never been to Vegas, just live the lifestyle. <laughs> Never been to Vegas, but I do kiss Vegas style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That means uh, everywhere. Yeah, I've been to Vegas and I went to most of those places that yeah. are still alive, the Flamingo in particular. And honestly, when you're there, you feel like you are in the fucking rap. Pack. It makes you feel cool, huh? Yeah, everything's pink and neon and shit, and there are real flamingos just oh, around God. on the grounds. It's insane. And I really want to go there again. Mm. It was so much fun. I think this film doesn't capture that romantic idea of what Vegas is. Mm. It it has glimpses of it because you're looking at the fucking guys that define Vegas. Sure. I mean, all of them- Carrot top. (laughs) Carrot top. The human nature boys. (laughs) Britney Spears. Donnie and Marie. Celine Dijon. (laughs) Chris Angel. (laughs) The guys that really made Vegas what it is. Andrew Dice Clay. Dice Clay. Wolfgang Puck. The Killers. Panic at the Disco. Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Nina Las Vegas herself. Yeah, yeah. All the people that made Vegas what it is today. Um, and so the movie, do you reckon that they were just doing concerts in Vegas at the time? Mm. And that's why they were there. And they were like, hey, let's make a freaking movie while we're out here. Yeah, I guess so. Because it's just like them like, hey, let's have fun. Let's muck around. Hmm. And it's so fucking boring. Really? Like the whole, a lot of the movie is just them talking about their plan. But it's not even like an exciting plan like the Oceans movies that we're more hmm. familiar with. It's not elaborate at all. The whole thing is like, hey, one of us is going to be each, in each one of these casinos at the time that it go, that we set a blackout <laughs> to go out, which will happen as people are singing Old Lang Syne when New Year's Eve comes in. Mm-hmm. We're all going to steal shit and then we're going to walk out. The only really elaborate thing that happens in the film is that one of their people on the mission dies. Uh, he has a heart one attack. One of the Rat Pack? Not one of the Rat Pack. It's a guy- um, Someone maybe in the Fat Pack. <laughs> One of the original Fat Pack guys, which, of course, John Candy, John, John Belushi, John Belushi. <laughs> Chris Farley. They're all there. Um, but Richard Richard Conti, who's probably best known as Barzini in The Godfather oh, original yeah, film, yeah, yep, yep, yep. he plays like the electrician and he has a heart attack mm. and dies. And, um, that sucks, man. They're all, yeah, man. Honestly, not a dry eye in my house watching <laughs> that scene. <laughs> but this, they're not even like ex-cons in this film. They're like- uh, Frank Sinatra was like a sergeant and they're all paratroopers from World War Two, <sighs> and this is like their their way to get some cash. And- so, is it like a comment on the fact that soldiers who return home were not- There's no Didn't comment. get any compensation. There's no comment. It's just then why Sinatra do they need to hanging steal out with his gang. They Doesn't, just want to be rich, I guess. the vibe- Shouldn't it Maybe be- Maybe it is a bit that like, bad. Like, hey, we came not- back to this country that we fought for and it didn't pay- This country did not pay us back. Even though that's more of a Vietnam- 
thing. But like, is that what they is? They are they poor in this movie? Do they not get any not, army money? It's not. It's not part of the movie. Like, why didn't they just make them maybe cons? they are, maybe they aren't. It's just not part of the movie. It's yeah. so boring. It's just people talking, and then occasionally they sing. Like Dean Martin keeps singing, "Ain't that a kick in the head?" And like he just plays. So it's a musical. It's almost a musical. Like they, there's a mm. part where they first see Sammy Davis Jr. He's like mm. a blue collar guy now, and he's they, singing Mr. Bojangles. He is singing. He's singing. He's singing. <laughs> I don't think it's Mr. Bojangles, but he's singing like one of his hit songs. Mm. As all the other guys are just watching him, and they go, "Hey, Sammy, come back with us." My God, he was a hell of a performer. Oh, he Davis is a hellraiser. He is a hellraiser, and he converted to Judaism. So you know. Whatever the Jewish version of hell is as yeah. well. <laughs> they actually don't have one. They don't? No. Well, i got to get over there. <laughs> yeah. That sounds way more fun. But that's the most elaborate thing in the movie is that well, the guy dies and mm. he has like a military funeral. His wife comes to pick up his body and then the, the guy, they have hidden the money to get it out of Vegas in his coffin. Uh-oh. So the, and then they're having the funeral and they're like, what's that sound? The guy's being incinerated. They don't even get to keep the money. Oh, my God. The guy gets cremated. And then this is what I think the entirety of Soderbergh's film is based on. Mm -hmm. It's based on two things that capture the vibe of Vegas, the Rat Pack, uh, that I think is the romantic idea that Soderbergh used to to define his films. Yeah. One is the closing credits where you see all those guys down on their luck after they've just had their whole cash incinerated. Mm. And you're seeing that iconic Rat Pack troupe walking up the Vegas Strip mm. as a Sinatra song plays. They're all wearing their suits. They're all smoking their durries. They're all kind of looking forlorn and and sad that they lost it. Looks like they've had a big night out. And there's a giant sign in the background that says Sinatra, yeah. Dean Martin, I've seen Sammy this. Davis Jr. And I thought, when I saw it, I thought, okay, is this like the credit? The credits is just going to be all on signs along the Strip. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty clever way. And, like, maybe the whole credits will just be us tracking along with these yeah. boys and every new sign will have, like, the director's name on it and stuff. But it doesn't. There's just that one sign that has all their names on it and then their names scroll up on the screen anyway. Yeah, their names in normal are just, credits. Their names just pop up on the person as so, they walk past. Which made me think, was that an accident? Or- I think, yeah, it must have been an accident. They must have all just been doing nights. <laughs> Because this movie is just so paint by numbers that it would have been just them, like, during their day. Their day job is making a movie. Nighttime, yeah. they're at their night job. Now, actually, now you say that, that is sort of in tone with what these Oceans movies mm. are. A little bit dark comedy, a little bit of, like, irony. There's yeah. quite a lot of irony in the in the Soderbergh one. And meta, the celebrity yeah, movies, really. Yeah, the whole really. meta element of yeah. it. Yeah, okay. So, did you do you think Oceans 11, the original, is the best movie you've ever seen? Or the second best movie you've ever seen? Um, out of those two options, it'd have to be second best. <laughs> have to be second best. I think you can see mm. what inspired these films and kind of why these films have a place in history. It reminded me of an Elvis movie where yeah. it's just, it is just a celebrity movie. It's a celebrity vehicle movie, yeah. but you forget, they're instantly forgettable. Instantly yeah. forgettable movie, but there are things that live in our culture. Like the rap pack is so important to my culture. You love the rap I, pack. They're, they're part of who I am. 
them. I used to have posters of them up in my room, used to listen to their music, and I used to, you know, pretend I was drunk like Dino while I was in high school. Were you a Dino? <laughs> I think Dino was my favourite. Dean Martin, I love Dean Martin. His persona is the funniest one. Me, I prefer Joey Bishop's solo stuff. That guy rules. <laughs> you love Joey Bishop. I love He's one Joey of your Bishop. Idols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joey Bishop, I couldn't tell you a single fucking thing about him. <laughs> I don't even know who he is. He's one of the rap back, He's just one of them. Rap, he's man. Just one of them. Oh, let's, I'll tell you who the, who the people are in this movie. Frank Sinatra is Danny Ocean. Dean Martin. Which, by the way, cool name. Danny Ocean? Yeah. Oh, God, it's beautiful. One of the coolest names. Up there with Rick O'Connell. Yeah, and then the names only get cooler. Dean Martin is Sam Hampen. Harmon. Sam Harmon. Sam Harmon. That's pretty good, too. Sammy Davis Jr. Josh Howard. No. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Lawford as Jimmy Foster. Richard Conti as Tony Bergdorf. Joey Bishop as Mushy O'Connors. Mushy. Mushy O'Connors. Okay. And then we've got Henry Silver as Roger Corneal, Buddy Lester as Vince Masler, Richard Benedict as Curly Steffens, Norman Fell as Peter Raymer, and Clem Harvey as Lewis Jackson. So these all become anonymous people. Yeah, who knows any of these people? And I they're feel- not identifiable in this movie. And of the Rat Pack, which is those five men, mm. I only know three of them. Yeah. Joey Bishop and Pete Lawford, I could not tell you who the fuck they if are. If you showed me a picture of only two people <laughs> and those two people were Peter Lawford and Joey Bishop, I would not know who they were. No, I think they were just some photos of my granddad's friends yeah. from the war. <laughs> from the war. They're here hanging out once again. And I think those are things that Soderbergh captures is that feeling of camaraderie that mm-hmm. you assume this movie would have. Yeah. It has a celebrityness because there are celebrity cameos. That's what Vegas is all about. So yep. Vegas is a celebrity lifestyle. Yeah, You've man. got a cameo from Red Skelton, who plays himself in the movie, which is <laughs> something that will come up in these Oceans films again. Yeah. And then you've got Shirley MacLaine playing a drunk. And Shirley MacLaine, of course, honorary Rat Pack member. Yeah, the, the sixth Rat Packer. Yeah. The only female to be, you know, given- To be one of the boys. Yeah, to be one of the boys, which is an honor. Oh, I actually want to be one of the girls. You always, girl group you're trying. Fat, fat packers. <laughs> you tried to be in the, the new Rat Pack remake, just hanging around. Yeah, Ocean's 8. I was like, need a ninth? No one was into it. <laughs> no one was into it. No, no, no. The other thing that I think the remakes are based on is the opening credits are like classic Saul Bass, 1960s, oh, yeah. cool casino Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I think Saul Bass is one of those guys that uh, if you're not familiar with him, he's an icon of pop culture, icon of cinema, icon of art. Mm-hmm. He is a designer, a graphic designer who designs iconic posters like- Hitchcock. Hitchcock stuff like Vertigo, Vertigo poster that everyone has on their wall. I've got one on my yeah. wall. It's my, one of my favorite movie posters. Another one of his greats, probably his most famous one, is West Side Story. Mm-hmm. So it's very pop art, very colorful, and he does that with the opening credits and kind of defines, I think, what the Vegas style of the 1960s will be. Well, that's the thing. What you've just said then is that. These are movies that are style over substance, mm. uh, especially from what the sounds of it is. This original is all about the style. It's yep. like, it looks cool. You've got Saul Bass. You've got these pop singers from the 60s doing the score. That whole thing really is what the 
my trilogy is all about. It's about cool and style, mm. I think, these Soderbergh movies. There's one more thing that I want to add before we get out of this. I just read something that, to me, is fucking crazy. It explains everything about the film. I can't believe I missed this while looking this film up. Mm. This is just from the Wikipedia as well. Okay. Uh, Peter Lawford was first told of the basic story of the film by director Gilbert Kay, who heard the idea from a gas station attendant. <laughs> <laughs> Lawford Lawford eventually bought the rights in 1958, imagining William Holden in the lead. Sinatra became interested in the idea and a variety of writers worked on the project. When Lawford first told Sinatra the story, Sinatra joked, forget the movie, let's pull the job. I have heard that quote before. So that's the thing. That's classic Sinatra to say that, by the way. I mean, the guy was a troublemaker. Oh, my God. He was the original prankster. He was. Hey, um, this is semi-related mm. to the Soderbergh movies. Did you know there was a 1998 HBO film called The Rat Pack? That oh, yeah, a biopic about them. I've seen it. Ray Liotta Ray plays Ray Liotta as Frankie. Frank Sinatra. Joe Montaigne as, as Dean Dino. Martin. And then it's Don yeah, Cheadle. Don Cheadle as Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, I've seen that, but years ago. Do you think that's the reason Don Cheadle got cast? As Basher? I mean, it has to be, right? It's got to be. He was a guy on the rise. Yeah, he was on the rise. Well, that brings us naturally to it. I think we should dive in. I think it's going to be very fun. And I think you and I both watched all three. Yeah, we're going to talk about all three Oceans trilogy films. (laughs) And we can't wait to do it. Let's dive in. It's never been done before. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? You want to knock over a casino. Three casinos? Vegas, huh? Vegas. Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly. Oceans 11. You're either in or you're out. I'm staying in. Oceans 11, directed by Steven Soderbergh in the year of our Lord, 2001. Less than 24 hours into his parole, charismatic thief Danny Ocean is already rolling out his next plan. In one night, Danny's hand-picked crew of specialists will attempt to steal more than $150 million from three Las Vegas casinos. But to score the cash, Danny risks his chances of reconciling with ex-wife Tess. $150 million. First note, this movie would have been much better with Dr. Evil as the villain. Oh, imagine Dr. Evil as (laughs) Terry Benedict. Imagine. Oh, God, that would be fabulous. Fun fact for you right now. Yes, I'm about to have fun, bitch. That I have naturally led Mm -hmm. us into is that when this movie was being developed, Uh Mike Myers was attached as one of the 11. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not fucking kidding you. This was almost a Mike check episode? This was almost a Mike check. Oh, my God. Imagine, but he had to pull out because apparently there was not enough money to pay everyone what they wanted to be paid. (sighs) That's why they had to pull the job for real. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Can I guess who he would have been? I would love you to. So do I don't know. You don't know. I tried to look up who we would have been, but let's let's speculate. Well, if you're not familiar with who we are, we of course did a podcast mic check. We go through the entire filmography of Mike Myers just mm-hmm. to check if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Huge hit podcast for us. Yeah, big hit. Huge, humongous, huge. Best podcast ever. <laughs> I mean, we, d- we defined what podcasting was. <laughs> we invented the format of podcasting. Yeah, it's it's silly. It's funny. It's sexy. It's cool. <laughs> 
Exactly. I guess that he would have been playing the Don Cheetah role, Basher. I because oh, I could have I've gone a different route to you. That's what I was thinking because he's doing the impersonations. He's do I mean not the impersonations. He's doing the. Uh, oh, actually, maybe he would have been playing the Carl Reiner role. Because Carl Reiner's doing all the voices and stuff. Again, that's not who I'm thinking. Who are you I, thinking? I thought he would have been playing Danny uh, Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the actor's name or the character's name, but you know, the, like the tech guy. Who, oh, yeah. He's like the nerdy kind of tech guy who becomes a comedian in the second one. Is that uh, Livingston Livingston Dell? Is that his name? Eddie Jamison? Yeah, that the guy. The actor, Eddie yeah. Jamison. I think that might be him. I thought maybe that because that's the only physically the closest thing that looks like Mike Myers. Yeah, in this movie. <laughs> the closest thing to looking like Mike Myers. He's Who's like the a, doughy guy a doughy, in that movie? Doughy Who's white the dough ball? <laughs> um, also... Oh, he could have been. He could have been the Bernie Mac. He could have been the Bernie Mac. Yeah, it's like that type of character, right? Like a kind of brash, yeah, loud, loud talking, fast talking guy. Yeah. Also, another fun fact: the two brothers mm-hmm. in this movie, played by Scotty Kahn and Casey Affleck, were originally developed with the Wilson brothers in mind. Oh, I can see that. How good would that be? That would be great. They they were nearly in it. They turned it down. And then I heard that the two roles were was offered almost to- the Olsen twins. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was actually offered to, this is crazy, mm. the Coen brothers. Whoa. The filmmakers. The filmmakers, the Coen brothers. How weird is that? I mean- they're not known for their acting. No, but that's the thing. This generation of filmmaker, like the Soderbergh type- they dabble in acting, mm. these guys. I mean, the Coens haven't so much, but Spike yeah. Jones Spike appears Jones in things. Three, three Kings, of course. Yep. Soderbergh even acts in a few things. Yeah, Spike <laughs> Jones and Jackass is so good. One of the iconic roles. Yeah, one of the best roles as that old woman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it touches on this idea um, that I think we were talking about this being a celebrity movie, a movie about celebrity. That is 100% what this movie is, like what this franchise franchise mm. became i think that it's a heist movie that's what you'd call it as a genre i think it is the modern definition of heist but film. above that above like top billing above heist movie is this is a movie about famous people mm. hanging out and being friends and the whole romantic idea of watching famous people banter watching them have fun with each other and bicker, even so much so that all the behind-the-scenes stories of this movie and the other two... Oh, they're iconic. ...is that they're fun guys to hang out with. Yeah. That's what it's... I wonder how much of that is studio spin, or if really, George Clooney is the greatest prankster of all. Oh, he's the OG, the original prankster. He's like the Johnny Knoxville of A-listers. Yeah. Of course, let's go through the tears. George Clooney, he's the A-list Johnny Knoxville. A-list Johnny Knoxville. B-list Johnny Knoxville, Johnny Knoxville. (laughs) C-list Johnny Knoxville, probably probably Clive Owen. (laughs) Maybe he's English, Johnny Knoxville. Is he a prankster as well? Uh, Well, I think he might be. Actually, maybe he's quite serious. I don't know. I mean, he was in extras. I was just trying to think of sexy dudes with a lot of- that have seemed powerful. Yeah. Oh, you think Clive Owen's sexy? Uh, yeah. He should have been Bond. 
He should have been Bond. He should yeah. have been Bond. He should have been Bond. He also should have been um, Xander Cage in Triple X. Oh, God, he would have crushed Xander <laughs> Cage. If they do a European reboot of the Triple X films, <laughs> they got to get Clive Owen back, shave his beautiful hair off and get him into <laughs> a shirt off with a coat, wool coat over the top. <laughs> That's what they got to do. So, let's talk about uh, these Oceans movies. So, mm-hmm. they, as you uh, informed me, there are some differences between these and the Sinatra one. Oh, uh, yeah. In this one- They're fun. <laughs> they're fun. They're cooler. Yeah. They're longer, presumably. Oh, uh, yeah. Ugh, I don't- The other one it felt like an eternity, the other one. <laughs> I think it must have been about two hours long. Also, these are like- These fall into the more traditional idea of what a crime heist movie mm. is, even going so far as the fact that Danny Ocean is a freaking criminal in this. He's like a yeah. convicted felon- He's just out of prison. He's less than 24 hours on parole. Less than 24 hours since he's been put on parole. Yeah. I think- um, This movie starts with one of my favourite tropes of any movie. Oh, yeah. Which is someone leaving prison. I love that shit. I love it. I love it. I love it in Blues Brothers. Yep. I love it in- Austin Powers doesn't start with that, but I love the idea of him the leaving com- a facility. Yeah, leave anyone, anyone where someone <laughs> leaves a facility and has to get a, their possessions get, get back. Get their shit back is the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's the man. best. I think one thing George Clooney probably doesn't need Swedish made penis enlarger. The guy's probably packing a fat piece of hog. You reckon? I reckon he's got a fucking lumber, like a huge <laughs> bit of timber down there. Who do you reckon's got the biggest hog? George the Clooney, Brad Pitt. Or Scott Kahn. I reckon Scott Kahn would have a thick beast. He'd have a not, hammer, man. He'd have a really, maybe not a hammer, maybe like a spanner or something. Because he's not <laughs> hes not as tall as his papa. Yeah, but he's, he's husky. He's he, stocky. He's mm-hmm. stocky. James Kahn, Scott Kahn's father, iconic actor from Godfather. Yeah. And other movies such as Thief and- um, <laughs> Misery. He's misery. He's got. He's in and misery. Bottle rocket. And bottle rocket. He's a tall man. And in the Godfather series, famously, he's got a fucking huge dong. Is that? Does that come up in? Yeah, the- in the fir- in like one of the earliest scenes of the movie at the wedding, his he's wife fucking is. Someone. He's fucking someone, and while he's doing that, his wife is showing her friends, widening his her hands further and further apart. So famously, James Khan is one of the most fucking hugest dongs in cinema history. His son probably about a two thirds, I would say, full. Wow! Okay. I'm making a guess on it. I looked at his hands. <laughs> <laughs> they're chubby little, they're chubby little thingies. I love him. I reckon Carl Ryan or Elliot Gould might be up there, the longest. Dongs. Gould has got to have a long. I reckon one. Gould would have a, a long, beautiful- acidic. Beautiful dong. <laughs> he would have a beautiful hairy dong with just the perfect amount of hair running up the shaft. If There's I had curls to down either side of it. <laughs> he would have to have a monster dick, don't you reckon? Absolutely. He was He's married like to seven- Babs, wasn't he? Oh, he must He was married to Babs. Babs would settle for nothing less. <laughs> He's an icon of 70s cinema mm-hmm. and a sex symbol. He's a sex symbol. And sex symbols famously have amazing penises. Every sex symbol has the fucking beautifulest dick ever. Yeah. Including Marilyn Manson, <laughs> that is. <laughs> oh, man. So, this movie, uh, I mean, I fucking loved it. I've got to tell you, I hadn't watched it in a long time, probably since I was a teenager. Mm. 
and um, it's freaking cool. I remember not liking these movies when I was young. I thought they were too slow, too much chit chat. They're a little hard to follow as well because they're so elaborate. They're like, yeah. uh, you, you know, something like a Rube Goldberg. One yes. of the sex symbols of the 1960s, <laughs> Rube Goldberg. And also, I think when, when I was young, I don't think I really gave a shit about the legacy of mm. these types of films yeah. and about like, the glamour and glitz of Vegas or, you know, celebrities or any of this shit. So, I just wanted it to be a fun action movie. Um, And now, I think watching it as an adult, I can see this whole meta layer laying above it all where these characters aren't just the characters, they're stand-ins for the actors playing them themselves. Mm. Like, And I feel like that's deliberate. And I don't know whether oh, that's yeah. true or whether I'm just justifying the fact that Steven Soderbergh made three heist movies <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out why he would have done that. Well, I think what this movie does and where it kind of takes its influence from the original film is that it's not a remake of Ocean's Eleven, the actual film. Mm. It's a reboot of the idea yeah. of, uh, like, the romantic idea of a, mo- a heist movie starring the Rat Pack kind of as themselves set in the sexy glory days of Las Vegas. And so it takes all of those ideas, synthesizes them to be these celebrity movies set now with a feeling of that 1960s cool that was defined by those people. It feels like when they were pitching it to a studio that Soderbergh would have said, Hey, I got this great idea from a gas station attendant. (laughs) (laughs) I just bought it. I bought it off this guy who's filling up my car. Yeah, I bought the gas. I bought some beef jerky. I bought the idea. idea. (laughs) I paid the guy $1 million for this idea. I feel like he would have gone in and said, imagine a heist movie starring the most famous men of today. Yeah. And the people in the studio would have been like, let's do it. Like, just based on that pitch alone. I mean- you can't look at it as a normal movie, I don't think. Oh, no way. It's impossible. When Even when you just have George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon on screen together in any scene, mm. it's at that point, you're not watching a fucking movie anymore. You're watching like a tabloid magazine brought yeah. to life. It's yeah. too heightened. It's too surreal. I can't even- Their names are insane. Brad Pitt's character's name is Rusty Ryan- and Matt Damon's name is Linus Caldwell. Yeah. And I've never called them by their names when I'm talking about this movie. And sh- I shall not. I will never even mention Danny Ocean again. <laughs> I'm always like, I like the scene where Clooney and Pitt do this and then Matt Damon comes in. Because it is just watching celebrities on screen. That's it's, all it is. It's that really satisfying thing when you're ju- just seeing people cast in their types. Totally. Like, not cast against type. Sure, that's fun and interesting. Yeah. But it's so satisfying to just identify, yes, I know exactly what this uh-huh. person is. I know what they're doing. George Clooney's playing the cool mastermind. Yeah. De- Brad Pitt's playing the cooler another guy. Cool another cool mastermind. <laughs> Matt Damon's playing a slightly nerdier guy yeah. who's learning how to become but a like mastermind. Like a boy genius type. And I think, and you know, Bernie Mac's playing Bernie Mac, you know. Yep. Who- Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck as relatives of more famous people who are bickering. And- who are hanging out on the set. Yeah. Don Cheadle, he's a guy who's being brought in. He's a new guy on the scene. You know, this is yeah. when Don Cheadle's starting to break out big in Hollywood. Yeah. Carl Reiner, funny old man. Funny old man. 
Elliot Gould. Sexy old sexy man. Sexy He's playing against type in this. He's playing a not sexy old man. That's true. And Andy Garcia as bad man. Bad man, yeah. And He's- Julia Roberts as the woman with the most devastatingly beautiful smile. Oh, God. I loved her in this. I, yeah. I had a similar thing to you where it had been a long time since I'd revisited these films. Mm. I saw the first two on DVD because I'd heard they were really good. They, mm. came, they came, I got into them and they came around just as I was kind of getting really into cinema and finding my way. Yeah. And, you know, knowing Soderbergh as this great director and these are his iconic movies, I'd already seen Traffic at this point and probably mm-hmm. Aaron Brockovich. And I watched these movies on DVDs and I think I was kind of the same way as you were, unimpressed by them. Yeah. Because they were long, they felt a bit slow. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know who these people were because, I I mean, I would have only been like 13 watching these yeah. films. Yeah. But I was also... Some, I was one of those kids that was born in the wrong era. Yeah. I was watching those Rat Pack. I mean, I was in, <laughs> listening to the Dean Martin music. I was watching like 70s movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it was too soon for me to watch these films that were inspired by the popular culture mm. or informed by some of the popular culture that I was watching. True. Because I wasn't fully aware of them yet. I was still learning them. And then I saw the third one in cinemas, Ocean's 13. We saw it on a school trip. Hmm. We went on an excursion to see Ocean's 13 in the cinema Why? with my high school. What we, class was this for? Well, we, it wasn't for a class. It wasn't like a, like it was just teachers high being studies like, 101. <laughs> I think we must have been in Canberra and it would have right. been like on a Canberra camp. That is a classic Canberra uh, excursion. Well, Canberra is go our nation's capital. You go to the capital. You learn the fucking government You go shit. to the war memorial. You go you to pay, Parliament you, House. Exactly. You pay your respects to Questa Con, which you is go. a science museum. <laughs> and then what? You can go to Cockington Green, and which then, is a miniature village. I didn't, we don't think we went there. <laughs> <laughs> then we went to- You've never been to Cockington Green? <laughs> Honestly, with a name like that, I shouldn't forget it. <laughs> but we went to see Ocean's 13 up on the big screen in the cinema. <laughs> And I remember the whole class, 60 kids. Oh, my God. We went and booked out a cinema and saw (laughs) Ocean's 13. And I, because I was like such a little nerd, you know, that's obviously, I was a fucking nerd in high school. Um, And Al Pacino was my favorite actor of all time. I adore Al Pacino to this day. You can hear me this week banging on about Al Pacino on the Babe of the Day podcast. Talk Mm -hmm. about him for fucking 15 minutes or whatever, (laughs) nonstop. Um, But I, so I loved him and no one else knew who the fuck he was. So I was like hyped to see Al Pacino on the big screen in Mm -hmm. a movie. Mm -hmm. And then everyone was making fun of me going, your favorite guy's a fucking old chicken man in this movie. <laughs> so I was bullied. And then my teachers to, you know, I think they felt sorry for me on the car back up. I had a mm. DVD, a case full of DVDs and they put Dog Day Afternoon on, oh <laughs> on the bus God. ride back. And I was like, that was so mean. I mean, one of the best movies ever, but it's old and it's slow for... 15 year olds oh my they, god i was bullied not mercilessly but because i was a popular kid um you're the so popular nerd. i was a popular nerd. like seth cohen from yeah the and they were just i think they did it to to inform the students who al pacino was and why he's oh, so iconic that is so fucking horrible and then everyone's like this guy sucks he's so boring his movies are boring oh dude yeah and what did you do you just have to sit there and defend it yeah because that sucks when you've raved about something and then you show someone the thing and they're not into it. Yeah, 58 kids not being into it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that sucks so bad. Yeah. Oh, man. But at least we got to see our Al Pacino's two most iconic roles, Willie Banks in Ocean's 13 <laughs> and Sonny in Dog Day Afternoon. Now, I, uh, I think similar to you, like, you know, neither of us really kind of connected with these movies when we first saw them. And I think they did feel slow. Mm. But now, as the experienced cinephile that I am, when I'm watching these movies, I am just fucking gobsmacked by... Soderbergh style. You're a big Soderbergh boy. You've told me, you've talked to me about Soderbergh so often. I like Soderbergh, mm. but you love Soderbergh. He's one of your guys. It's one of those things. Who where are your I- guys? Oh, okay. Well, Marin, yep. obviously. Love Marin. Uh, Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Um, Obama. Yeah. Tommy. <laughs> Tommy Hanks. And Tommy Dasselow. <laughs> Tommy Dasselow. All the Tommy. Tommy, the album by The Who. Yeah. That's yeah. one of your guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where I don't think I've ever fully embraced that I'm a Soderbergh fan, mm. but it's always been lingering in the background. When I was at uni, I studied film. We were- Fuck yeah, by the way. Dude, by the way, you got to study film out there. If you're listening to this podcast, you're getting basically what we studied. You're getting film film education. You're studying film right now. I studied film in a professional institute Mm -hmm. called the University of Newcastle, New Mm. South Wales. And uh, we obviously, you start getting into all the classic 70s directors around that time. They show you Bootman at Newcastle (laughs) University. They show you Bootman. Dogs. They show you the films of Yahoo Serious. Yeah, all proud Newcastle films. <laughs> um, we were, I was at that point probably getting into Altman and mm. like- You're a big and, Altman and, guy. And Coppola and, yes. you know, even Scorsese was cool to like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I remember- That's why I'm so cool, bitch. That's why you're cool as fuck. I fun. like Scorsese. <laughs> but I got into a few of the Soderbergh movies that were- not really well known around that mm. time. I think one of the courses I was studying, someone told me about the movie Schizopolis, yeah. which is Soderbergh's weird experimental movie that he put out in 1996. So the story is that he had um, one big hit, Sex Lies and Videotape. That's his first big thing at yeah, Sundance. It's or basically his or first like debut film, really. Yeah. And then so he had a an couple indip- of- It was uh, in, it kind of- it, 1980 It sort of started that whole American indie movement of the 90s. Yeah. Like, without that being a hit, it's fair to say that Tarantino, Spike- exist. Jones, blah, blah, blah. None yeah. of those people would have been able to break through. They would have disappeared. They would have disappeared and been nothing. So, he had that big hit, kind of changed cinema. Then a few flops. And then he- had a bit of a breakdown in the mid-90s after maybe half a decade of Mm. not having any hits. He made this movie called Schizopolis, which is a crazy, eccentric art film. Is he the lead in that He's the lead in it, and he plays two characters who look- The Coen brothers. Look exactly the same, (laughs) but have different names. Yeah. And are indistinguishable from each other. There's no linear plot. It's kind of a movie about movies in a way, I guess. That's my favourite genre. Uh, yeah, you love that kind of shit. Yeah. You're obsessed with meta things. I love the movies. I love the nightlife. You love to boogie. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember reading this thing that he said around that time. He said something like, um, I wanted to break the way that I make films mm. and prove to myself that I could visually tell stories in a way that was different Oof. to me. So, one of the examples he said is that he wanted to- get rid of shot reverse shots from mm. his films, 
over shoulders, anything that he felt like he'd seen a million times and that he was naturally doing, he wanted to do the complete opposite of. And as a young film student, of course, you hear that and get a fucking hard on because mm. anyone who's breaking the rules is cool to That's you. That's so sick. And so, since then, I think I've viewed his films with that genius mm. voice in mind. Even if they're not particularly genius movies, I can't help but watch uh, Out of Sight and Aaron Brockovich and Traffic yeah. as the work of a genius, even though they're quite mainstream movies. They're mainstream hit movies. I mean, after the Schizopolis, the run is sublime, really. Mm. You got Out of Sight, which is a George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, based on the Elmore Leonard crime novel. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in the same world as Jackie Brown, Quentin Tarantino's film. Has the same same character and actor that Michael Keaton plays. Exactly, he's in both of them. (laughs) Uh, And that's, I just rewatched that. That's a fucking magnificent movie. It's so good. And, you know, that movie's very famous for, like what you're saying, telling a story visually. There's yeah. an amazing scene that gets talked about a lot in that film. And even as I was watching it, I uh, was like, this is even better than people say. It's, of course, the scene where uh, Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney famously finally start to fuck. And you see them having their conversation at the bar intercut with them getting undressed to make the fuck. <laughs> And it's just so elegantly done and so sexy and so tense. Mm. And that, to me, that's the genius of Soderbergh. That's where he is kind of born as the modern filmmaker he was destined to become. Then after Out of Sight, we've got The Limey, which is a great gangster crime film. Aaron yeah, I've Brockov- never seen that. It's great. It's real good. And mm. then we've got Aaron Brockovich, another great- Which was a huge Oscar bait hit. I mean, Big hit. that year, nominated for two Oscars every category. Right. Aaron Brockovich the- and, Traffic. and Traffic. Yeah, I think he was nominated for Best Director for both films. He was. I think I remember reading that he is one of the only actors to lose to himself. Yeah, directors. Directors, so He has acted, but yes, he's, in Schizopolis. He's my favourite actor in Schizopolis. <laughs> but he's like, you know, that's an amazing year. And he's yeah. kind of... I look at him as a bit of the American version of... Who's that director? 24-Hour Party People? Oh, Winterbottom. Yeah, I thought... Totally. That's a great reference. Michael he's the American Winterbottom, Winterbottom. yeah. Because you look at those two guys and they've never stopped experimenting. Yeah. and they seem to put out a movie a year. M- or movie or two a year, yeah. basically. Yeah. And they've, always, they've had... Not exactly similar runs because they've both tackled different material, but Mm. they're always experimenting. They're reusing cast members in different films and experimenting with their little rat pack of actors. And that's why it's fucking impossible for me to view these Ocean's Eleven movies as fluff anymore because I think I now know that he's an experimental filmmaker, he's an arty filmmaker, Mm. and... It's crazy that he works in such a mainstream way, especially with these three movies, because they are mainstream Hollywood celebrity movies, but they're made by a fucking experimental art director. Mm. And I think uh, one of the things that I've found very, um, I guess, interesting or inspiring about them is watching them as exercises Mm. for me, rather than just movies. I see that he's making these films as an experiment in different visual looks. Mm. Uh, and I've got to say, they are, they're gorgeous movies. And we've talked about this off mic, but you can look at these Lay it movies. on the track now, baby. Yeah, let's put it on the record. These movies are... They seem to take on a different visual era in each one of them. There's mm. the kind of 60s um, 
American look yep. of the first one. The second one takes on a kind of more French New Wave yeah, sort of definitely. visual look. And then the third one is really riffing on those kind of movies of the 70s. Yeah. Uh, I really want to talk about the way that he uses colour. I'd love to hear you talk about that. And this is crazy for me because I'm not like a big visual guy. No, no, no. You love story. I love story. I love performance. Mm-hmm. But I am gobsmacked by how he uses colour in this I came into the door. Cameron had his gob wide open, (laughs) smacking it. I smacked my gob. He smacked his gob on the ground. He dropped his jaw on the ground. (laughs) I mean, because people criticise Soderbergh in the same way that they criticise the Coens. They say that he's quite a cold director Mm. who has no compassion for the characters. They say he doesn't really give a shit about the... Characters and maybe he doesn't. I find that bizarre, especially from the movies that we just listed. Yeah, but I think this included. I think that's because he casts very well and very warm human actors. Mm. Like he may not give a shit about the characters, but Julie Roberts definitely does. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's impossible to see the coldness for me because he uses Clooney and. Yeah. Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, who are very warm performers. Yeah, Matt Damon as Matt well. Damon, like, so yeah. Bernie Mac, the guy's not just warm. The guy's fiery hot. He is red hot up there on the screen. But I think uh, I think that Soderbergh does have a style, mm. and his style is style. Yeah. In the same way that the Coens is. He loves things that are flashy and beautiful mm-hmm. and intricate. And there's no better vehicle for them than these movies. Yeah. This, the guy, I feel like he, uh, I don't know what his, what his uh, process is. Yeah. But I think he thinks as a DOP first mm, well, rather he is than a director. One. And may I say, one of the best DOPs working. I'd say so. I think he look, his stuff looks incredible. He seems to pick one colour to really focus on for every scene. When you came into my house today, I was raving to you about the reds that were on screen. Yeah, well, there was one scene in Ocean's 13 where it's just red. Yeah, a lot of scenes in these movies are all that. There's They're just plenty. one colour. There's, uh, there's a beautiful one in the first one, which is largely blue. Almost mm. everything in the screen is blue apart from maybe one tiny really warm yellow light Mm. in the corner of the screen he seems to use light in an interesting way sometimes the whole frame is black apart from one light source that's above them or something and it's a white light shining down Mm. on them that kind of casts them in an interesting way i think that he must use these films as an opportunity to experiment with how to make things look fucking cool an experiment to the mainstream audience yeah it's insane i mean and they have kind of changed the way that movies are shot these movies Mm. you can't really like mean fucking even comedies look pretty now um and look classy and i think these movies did kind of bring class and style back into mainstream in some way oh yeah i mean this film these films are very classy and it sounds lame to say it. These are classy <laughs> movies. You watch this at home, you pour yourself a little cognac. <laughs> just have a little sip from it and, you know, have your little dice ready to roll around. This movie made me want to go to a fucking casino. Well, that's the thing. You watch these movies and everyone looks so pretty. Yeah. And everything is shot so gorgeously that you can't help but want to look and be one of these people. Yeah. I watched it. There's a bit where, in the second one, I think, maybe, where... Brad Pitt is walking along against this gorgeous blue sky, mm. wearing a wonderful cream suit. Yeah. And he's, you know, heading to Amsterdam, wherever the fuck they're heading. Yeah. 
And I was just like, I got to get a fucking suit. Yeah, you want to become a suit comedian I've got to get a fucking suit. Like, suits look fucking great when yeah. they're colour-coordinated. It's impossible to look like a loser. I know. You, well, let's give it a shot. <laughs> let's try and look like losers in suits. I mean, they're fashion movies, these ones. Yeah. They they're gorgeous fashion movies. And each person has, like, their distinct, their distinct characters... Maybe more so distinct characterizations than distinct characters because they're all basically the same thing. They're all crooks. They're all robbers. They're yep. all they're all cons, con men. But yeah. then they con each, artists. Con, they they make an art out of the con, <laughs> and then um, <laughs> which is going to be my my one man show. Title, the art of the con. The art of the con. I will change my name to Contoliopoulos. <laughs> And then, so the whole thing is, they all have like their distinct styles. Of course, George Clooney, suit boy, no tie. Yeah. But basic, simple suits. Yeah. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. He wears sort Similar, of like, but he fucks around with the colours. His colours are shinier. He yeah. often uses something with like a little bit of a metallic weave mm, through yeah. it. And he has that, of course, that incredibly cool tattoo He's that goes that up his arm and hand. Tribal tattoo. I was trying to figure <laughs> out what that was trying to say because it's not. Brad Pitt's actual tattoo. No, but I reckon it was that actor's choice. Mm, and it, but what's it trying to say? Because it's a very tacky, yep. early 2000s tattoo. But well, that's the thing. You're talking about the year 2001. Brad Pitt was the kind of embodiment of cool mm, at that time. That, I think this was a big break for him, this film. That was Fight Club before this. Fight Club would have been year just before, before this. 99. 99 it was yeah. released. And so, changed cinema and pff, the world forever. Definitely. It changed the way that I interact with my male friends. It ended, it ended fucking capitalism <laughs> and started a new, a new <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> hey, I am Jack's raging boner. I think uh, there's- and Some- I'm the tub of human fat that they ripped on top of the fence. <laughs> There's that like tribal tattoo that goes up his hand and arm. That feels like a Brad Pitt choice yeah. because I think he was l- he was incredibly cool but incredibly lame, mm. and he thinks that that kind of shit is cool. Or I think he at least knows how to access that kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. I think Brad Pitt. He is actually cool, but he also is actually strange and weird. Yeah. Like, have you heard those rumors about how Brad Pitt doesn't use deodorant? No. And he doesn't believe in it. And he's apparently got really stinky bad hygiene. Yuck. Yeah, it's awesome. He dude. looks like he stinks. Yeah, he does. He looks grimy. Yeah. He's always munching. He's always eating. I love that about him. Always. Like, he's like a 70s movie star. I think he's inspired by that because they're always eating 100%. those movies. It's such a thing, I reckon, that an actor who loves Brando would do. Yeah. He'd be like, well, I'm just going to be... Brando was eating a fucking orange in one scene in Streetcar. I might just eat yeah. in every scene. He's eating that fucking cat in Give Godfather. Give myself some shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's eating that fucking live cat in the first scene in Godfather. <laughs> it's become a uh, it's become a thing in these Ocean's movies that he's almost eating in almost every scene yeah. and it's kind of a running gag and then they end up ripping it off in the Fast and Furious movies with Han yeah. with him always eating in every scene it's yeah. just like the snake eating itself at this point yeah god I'd love that movie <laughs> Brad Pitt eating himself come on dude that's a movie make uh, that movie Matt Damon's style evolves throughout all three he starts out looking like Goodwill Hunting and ends yeah. up looking like Jason Bourne oh god I think that's a like that's what we're talking about these movies 
news being like meta commentaries uh-huh. on their celebrity. Exactly. I mean, you're seeing Brad Pitt and George Clooney being these fucking two boss dudes. Yeah, they and are. And then boss. you're seeing, <laughs> seeing Matt Damon come in as the nerd, that kind of the nerdy protege who they're training uh-huh. up in each movie. By the end of Ocean's 13, you're seeing three of them in a tableau sitting together at an airport. Yeah. And you're seeing Brad Pitt go and leaving them, going out on his own adventure at the end Matt of the movie. Damon, yeah. I, uh, Did I, I call him not Matt Damon? You called him Brad Pitt. You're seeing Matt Damon going out on his own adventure at the end of the movie. That's it. When that shot came up, I said to you uh, that that shot sums up what these movies are. Three famous men in beautiful suits sitting in an airport holding passports. Yeah, these are great passport movies. This <laughs> is all they are. It's just look at the boys. Yeah. They're going on another adventure. And Matt Damon finally became as famous as the other two. Yeah. Do you remember one of the narratives running throughout real life? was that Matt Damon... No, that Clooney was voted people's sexiest man in the world yeah. one year, and then Brad Pitt was voted at the next, and then in the media, in the lead-up to 13, they kept making fun of Matt Damon for not being <laughs> the sexiest man alive, and then he, I think around the time 13 came out, he finally was voted oh, sexiest man alive by people. That's so what this movie that's is. That's what it is. It's just three famous people kind of making fun of each other. And I think <laughs> what you're saying before about, like, Soderbergh's experimental style makes that fucking fun and cool to watch yeah. something like that. Like, that sounds so lame. Yeah, Hearing totally. the sexiest men competing with each other. <laughs> but it makes that kind of bro-y, rat-packy culture alive again. Yeah. And there's something about that that's just so thrilling. And these movies were just an absolute joy to watch. Uh, the first film, of course, is just, like, a perfect real execution of what uh, the heist movie genre is. It's got all the tropes you expect to see in a heist movie. Exactly. You see the team being assembled. The team being assembled. You see the heist being planned. You're uh-huh. seeing the heist being put to put to film, like you the see, actual heist. Yep. Then you find out all the things, the missing links that weren't actually shown uh-huh. in the thing. To People are double-crossed, then mm-hmm. triple-crossed, then it turns out that everyone was in on it. Yep. Uh, there's great, all those classic sequences where you see just random security guards going around the casino doing things while there's a voiceover of Danny mm-hmm. Ocean talking about the intricacies of yeah. the <laughs> security. It just stuff. lays up the expectations, pl- executes the ex- expectations, plays with the expectations, goes against your expectations, and then satisfyingly shows you what was left out to give you the full picture. I can't even remember how... Does the movie end with um, with Clooney going to jail? Uh, yeah, he goes to jail, then he gets out of jail, and Julia Roberts and uh, Brad Pitt pick him Julia up. Roberts. Tess, Tess Ocean. Tess Ocean. <laughs> and so, that's the first film. Then, the third film is going back to those roots a bit more, going back to Vegas, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada, and mm-hmm. making just a satisfying heist film. The second film, Ocean's 12, uh, when it came out and has kind of been known legendarily as one of the most despise sequels in history. I, I don't get it. I remember hating it when I saw it. But and I at think the time, it was just derided. Weird. People yeah. hated the movie. I, and why Why did they hate it? I don't know why. I think because the first film was that classic heist film. Uh-huh. This film was something stranger, more experimental, more comedic. Like there was yeah. playing a bit more on the funny side as well, a bit more on the rompy side. Because the first film is a romp, but it's not only a romp. I think the second film and the third film play the rompiness up more. The fun, yeah. the silliness, the kind of also, campiness it's, uh, of it. The second one's not as personal. The story isn't. Mm. It's just they're doing a job. 
in order to pay back the money that they stole from the first movie. Yep. And they get caught up in a game of cat and mouse with an equally successful thief in France. Yeah. The Played Night by Fox, Vincent Cassel. Who, by the way, I reckon is a bit of a style icon for you. Really? Vincent what do you mean? Cassell. Open linen shirts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is my thing. <laughs> but I think I wear a more like a fatter and older Elliot Gould. <laughs> He's probably my real style icon for these things. But I love Vincent Cassel. I think yeah. he's one of my favourite actors He's the French well. Clooney. He is. French Clooney. That's the name of my dog, French Clooney. <laughs> he's the French Stuart. So, yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's not as like... The stakes don't feel as personal because it's not. You mm. linked me to a great article about Ocean's 12. Yeah, it's an article by Matt Singer. It's on IndieWire.com. Matt Singer's one of the, I think, the great modern film critics. And he wrote an article called Ocean's 12 is a great sequel about how hard it is to make a great sequel. Mm. And reading that, and I sent it to you before you read it, yeah. it colored my viewing of the film this time. Totally, yeah. I think without this article, I would have liked it just as, maybe just as much because I was really into the style seeing since watching these films originally, I've gotten really into European and French New Wave cinema, your Godards, mm. your Truffauts, mm-hmm. uh, your Jacques Demy, really. And seeing those being put into this film and updating the stylish cool of the original one, which was all about Rat Pack, all about American mm. glamour and classic American style to a European style, a more newer and still a weirder style. Like you've mm. got those jump cuts. You've got mm. thing, you've got things that don't exactly make visual sense in that American That is the first style. thing I noticed about this movie, by the way, is that there's a jump cut about 30 seconds in. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that is already a leap away from yeah. the first movie. That, I couldn't see that. I couldn't see that happening in the first yeah. film. Yeah. If it did happen, didn't notice it. Yeah. This time, it's they call out the jump cuts. Totally. They just make sense. It's playing with- um, celebrity in a more French way, a more like Godard, Truffaut way mm. uh, that I can see in films like, you know, they because their films were all about celebrity as well. Mm. You know, stuff like Day for Night, Contempt and stuff like that mm-hmm. from the 70, 60s in France. This film does that. And I remember hating what it did at the time. Of course, we're the talk- main scene that the- you're talking about. There's one thing that I just hated. So did I. Yep. I remember seeing it. It, it. it comes up in the film. Matt Damon's going, oh, isn't it weird how Tess looks like? And they're like, and don't they go, bring it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes up like three or four times like you, that in this film. Let me ask you, when you first, first saw this movie mm-hmm. and they started hinting at the fact that Tess looks like somebody. Yeah. Did you realize right away what was going to happen? I can't remember. I, I think I remember, remember the second time they bring it up, yeah. which is when he brings it up with John che- Don Cheadle. You know what we could do? You know how Tess kind of looks like. But they don't say it. It's they not don't, hinted they never otherwise say name, outside of But that. I remember the second time they bring it up, I was like, they're not going to do this, are they? Mm, I think I would have been too young to cotton on to it at the time. <laughs> I just remember thinking, there's no way that they're going to do this. But this is crazy. It, what, what it is... Should we just say what it is yeah. so and talk about it yeah, more? Yeah, who cares? It's it's Ocean's Twelve. It's yeah, not- <laughs> we can't really spoil this because it's known for this. Yeah, is that they say they they say that the character played by Julia Roberts in the Ocean's films, Tess Oceans, 
Tess Ocean. Tess, Tess Ocean. Ocean. <laughs> yeah, Tess Ocean. Tess Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> uh, looks exactly like the actress Julia Roberts. Yeah. And that's something that's such a childish idea that I, I always as a kid, like, where does real life work into these movies? I, it shouldn't. Does George. should not cross over. Does in my George opinion. Clooney exist in the Ocean's universe and stuff like that? Yeah, you know? exactly. I, that's such a childish idea when you're trying to come up with, um, with how these things exist in the world of yep. the film and does the real world exist in the film world, which is stuff that you shouldn't be thinking about. But not only do they reference it, it becomes a key plot point mm. in the movie that she looks like Julia Roberts to the point that at one point the heist hinges on Tess Ocean going in disguise as Julia Roberts. Into a hotel. Into a hotel. <laughs> Uh, and to cause like a stir, yeah, the whole thing to like to cause distract. a distraction. And then when she's in there, she Bruce Willis, <laughs> the real Bruce Willis, sees her, <laughs> and then starts talking to her as if she is Julia Roberts. Yeah, and then it gets even crazier when she he starts to ring Julia. He's trying to ring Julia Roberts' husband or something, or, something, or her nanny, yeah, or and whatever. And she takes the phone away and ends up having a phone conversation with Julia Roberts. So we've got. <laughs> It's it's, it's bizarre. ridiculous. So she Julia Roberts as Tess Ocean is on the phone to Julia Roberts as Julia Roberts and it's I remember really despising that mm. when I first saw it. And that. now I thought it was fun. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was I was like holy shit. I can't believe that it worked. I didn't expect it to work watching it again now, but it really it really did. I found it to be so fucking weird and exciting. Yeah. And like I was saying, it felt French to me. It felt like what those new wave directors well, would have yeah. done. Now that you've put it in that term for me, I can understand why I enjoyed it this time. I think it's because yeah, the first one's a heist movie, mm. the second one is a caper. In a way, yeah, like it's it feels like it's a Muppet movie. It's a, it's a Muppet great Muppet caper. caper. <laughs> it feels sillier. It feels more fun and playful. It also is crazy to me to imagine that Bruce Willis and Julie Roberts would even be friends in mm. real life. So it I know. feels they like would be though. They'd be hanging, but I bet they're not. I bet yeah. that's just a casting <laughs> choice that they were like, "Who's the weirdest celebrity we could get who would be yeah. friends with them?" Oh, let's just get Bruce. We got Danny Aiello here. Do you, <laughs> are they still friends from Mystic Pizza? I think that they've made some. Um, whoever cast this movie with Soderbergh, I think they made some interesting choices as mm. far as who the celebrities that occupy this world are. Yeah, remember in the first one. How the movie starts <laughs> with Brad Pitt teaching actors how to like the, play poker. How to play poker, and they're all like young, <laughs> early two thousands, late nineties teen heartthrobs. It's not, and it's or not TV people, actors. They're TV actors, yeah. And they get introduced as you know, they go, oh, Brad, what's you know, what's Rusty been up to lately? Oh, he teaches movie stars how to play poker. And then when you see the move, the scene, they are TV stars. They're not movie stars. Yeah, it's Topher Grace, Topher Grace, Holly Joshua Marie, Jackson, Joshua Jackson, Holly, Holly Marie, Marie Coombs, Coombs from Charmed, um, Barry, what's his name from Seventh Heaven? Yeah, Seventh Heaven and guy. Some other cunt from whatever some other, One Tree Hill. Or yeah, something. they're all from like those. <laughs> it's kind of like shows. they're from shows. They're not movie stars, but yeah. the, it seems to me like that's a weird joke mm. that's being played on us. Yeah, it's. I think it captures that celebrity ness that, like, hey, they're they're living in a celebrity world. Yeah, but it's also making fun of that at the same time. Yeah, because there's a moment in the first one when Topher Grace exits a casino and the paparazzi go crazy for him and yeah. he stops and signs photographs. 
And then the camera follows Brad Pitt as he walks past that same group mm. of paparazzi completely unnoticed because he's not Brad Pitt, he's Rusty yeah. Ryan. And I felt like that's a visual joke. Yeah. It felt like that's what it was <laughs> to me. That's a joke. Like that Soderbergh was going, isn't it crazy that people would go wild over Topher Grace and not yeah, Brad Pitt? And not Brad Pitt. <laughs> like, that's it's, what it felt like. It's true. I mean, it's so odd. I think in comparing it to the original one, I said Red Skelton is a celebrity mm. playing himself. He was like a comic actor, probably would have been one of the like hang-ons of the Rat Pack. Probably had a few, a couple of B-Rows and a couple of uh, stogies with the Rat Pack. Definitely. You know, he was a comic actor, right? Yeah, according to Wikipedia, Red Skelton was an American comedy entertainer, which is what I hope to be described as one day. <laughs> American comedy entertainer, <laughs> Red Skelton. So, he's just like one of those funny dudes that was around the time, probably would have been doing stand-up shows at Vegas or whatever the equivalent of stand-up was in the 1960s, inspired by vaudeville, I'm sure. I'm absolutely positive it was. So, it seems like that these films have always played with the idea of that these people are so cool, they're on the cusp of celebrity lifestyle. Yeah, totally. And they're They're interacting with these celebrities. (laughs) Such as Red Skelton and Topher (laughs) Grace. Topher Grace's cameo in the second one is hilarious, by the way. Mm. I think it's a real comedy scene. It's very funny. In the Ocean's 12, Rusty (laughs) now runs a hotel and Topher Grace has been spazzing out in the hotel. Trashing the room. He's got long hair. He's in Kabbalah. He's yeah, like in- that's a funny joke, actually. Yeah. When he's trashed the room because his girlfriend left him and he says something like, it's almost like this Kabbalah shit doesn't work. Yeah. Good stuff. It's funny. He's trashed the room, long hair. It's Topher Grace. It's great. And he's talking <laughs> about how he's just left uh, that, that 70s, 70s show. show. Yeah. And now Topher Grace, best known as an editor. He yeah, edited the this- best editor of The Phantom Menace. <laughs> he directed the prequels together into <laughs> one film. So yeah, he's the, the Phantom Edit. He's the world's most famous editor. He is the best editor. He's almost as good an editor as Steven Soderbergh. Oh, yeah, who probably edited his own movie. I think he did edit this, yeah. He edits all of them. So the second one, you're right, it's it's definitely way more European. Um, it's sexier in mm. many ways. It has a famously sexy scene where Vincent Cassell dances his way through mm. a bunch of lasers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the third one though, mm. this is, um, it's a different vibe altogether. I mean, it's got some of the same hallmarks of the first two. Yeah. It uses montage incredibly well, split screens, but this time it's definitely a seventies movie, mm. even to the point that this is a really nitpicky thing, but anytime it uses split screen, there's big chunky black borders around every box in the yeah. split screen. Like it just looks like a 70s yeah. film. And it stars your favorite actor, the king of the 70s, Alfredo James Pacino. Oh, you love him. Love him. He's great in the movie. He is. He's playing a. His most of, iconic role. What do you reckon this is a riff on? Like, it's a. Ri- it's definitely riff on Casino. It's the riff on Casino. Which was Casino. Uh, sorry, which was Denier. Denier. Mr. Denier. Um. <laughs> Mr. Denier. <laughs> um. It's kind of. I guess his riff is on the big characters that he played, like your. Carlito Brigante, mm. your Scarface, Tony Montana, but also real riff on Michael Corleone, Godfather 2, King of Cas- like Las Vegas, yeah, who like yeah. owns casinos. Mm. It's kind of like a funner, sillier version of that very, very serious character and making that, taking the idea of this guy and 
how he's got all these gangster films in his past, but he's also a small guy. He's mm. a very small, statured guy, Apuccino. He looks like a fucking troll doll in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that kind of like fake tan skin with that pop up hair. Yeah. Very strange looking about this film and making him a nerd. And yeah. kind of making him a nerd, but with like that gangster undertone. I think it's like kind of a fun twist, but it's hard to me to see Al Pacino in this movie. It's hard to see anyone in these movies, man, because mm. they're all bigger than the movie. Yeah. Weirdly. I think these movies really, like who else could be the villain in this? They have to top, they already had someone from a Godfather movie as the yeah. villain in the first one. Godfather part three. They've got fucking Andy Garcia, <laughs> Andy Garcia. Sonny's illegitimate son, yep. Vincent Mancini. They've got- Who uh, we talked about earlier. That's his mother. The guy Sonny was fucking in, oh, at the wedding. Oh, That's nice. Vincent Mancini's mother, oh. Teresa Mancini. Oh, well, there you go. We've got uh, Sonny Corleone's actual son, Scott Kahn, Scott in Kahn. these movies. They need to top it. They have to go to Al Pacino, mm-hmm. even though he is- Way bigger than this movie. Yeah, way bigger. Even though he's one of the smallest pocket rocket actors that ever lived. <laughs> he is actually the size of a troll doll. Even, the, like, visually, Bernie Mac has <laughs> a full afro in this movie. It's a 70s movie. Do you know that in between films, Al Pacino makes money by sitting on top of pencils? I can, he's a troll I can doll. picture that. I could picture that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bernie Mac. Yeah, full fro. Oh, I love Bernie Mac. They've really gone for it. Um... What's his name? Casey Affleck has a huge moustache in it. Like, yeah. stylistically, everyone is dressed as a 70s. Yeah. Like in the 70s. They've got the bigger collared suits and the bigger yeah. collared shirts and stuff, but that also was 2007 style. <laughs> it was a bit ugly back in the, the mid-2000s. But I think um, I, I really enjoyed these films. I enjoyed them- uh, as a trilogy, not so much as a story trilogy, no. or it doesn't have to be three films. They're just three separate adventures, three separate capers. Yeah. It's three. It's like, I think maybe my interest waned by the time I got to the third one. Mm. I wasn't as invested because I've seen it all before yeah. now. I know that they're going to come across some weird shit and then they'll mm. achieve it. And then at the end, it'll end with them hopefully all at a party, yeah. drinking and laughing and having a fucking blast. I wasn't as excited going into the third one as I was watching the first one and then became excited for the second one because mm. I knew it was so weird and experimental. Yeah. I just didn't know how it was going to be weird and experimental because I saw this. the third one was going to be like just a mainstream movie to, t- to wrap yeah. it up for mainstream audiences because these mm. movies were big fucking hits. Mm. And so- I wasn't as excited, but like you said, to see that 70s style be coming in and seeing the evolution of it and how he actually did have a take on this film Mm. uh, as a third in a progressive series of films. I enjoyed and you can't help but have fun watching these films. He wouldn't have done it if- I don't think Soderbergh would ever cash in. Yeah. Even though he's made some pretty big hits and, you know, me saying he wouldn't cash in when he's made three films Mm. in a franchise starring Brad Pitt- is insane. But I think the guy has retired from filmmaking like three times. He's back again now. <laughs> yeah, he's back now. He just, the new movie that he put out this year, he shot on a fucking iPhone 7. So like, he's experimenting. The guy constantly wants to do things different and he wouldn't have made it if he hadn't have had a take on it. Mm. Maybe his take is less, I mean, he doesn't write the movies. Yeah. Maybe his take is less like story and character and more. I could see how that would look. Yeah. I feel like that's where his brain goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful looking movie. There's a great sequence early on where Rusty and Danny 
The two boys. The two boys are having a meeting with whatever Eddie Izzard's character is called. Yeah, Greco Roman. Roman, yeah, yeah. that's right. And uh, they... It's all in a quite dark apartment, mm. and it's all ex- exposition bullshit. Like, who cares? They're talking about some fucking piece of technology or whatever. But most of it's done in one take. Mm. The camera just pushes into different parts of the space. Characters move around, and then the framing changes multiple times. They turn lights on and off in different parts of the apartment mm. to kind of change the look. It's gorgeous. It's something that could have been done in three setups, yeah. just over-shoulder shots, but he's chosen to make everything look stylish. Yeah. And I think that's what he does best. And God bless him for it. Did you see Logan Lucky? I was going to say, it would be remiss if we didn't mention the film that brought Soderbergh back to cinema, colloquially known as Ocean 7-Eleven, Logan Lucky. <laughs> I think it's, it's important to talk about this as we're wrapping this up and mm. looking ahead about what happens with this franchise next because- um, it's kind of his step back into cinema, but step back into the genre that made him millionaire. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Because he sort of became quite well known for these Oceans movies mm. and then he distanced himself from it. He announced he was retiring. He did the Magic Mike yeah. movie. He DOP'd the second Magic Mike movie. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing that he did that. Incredible. I mean, he's, he's incredible. Um, he's executive produced the Nick on TV with your yeah. boy Clive Owen Clive Owen yeah. most famous man of all time and he yeah. directs most of the Nick as well yeah, right? he if does not direct, all of it he directs a lot of it yeah. yeah so he's like he took a step back from filmmaking it felt like he wanted to get away from the burden of Ocean's Eleven mm. but then he came back by doing a riff on his own movie yeah and that's that's crazy. Like, he's a meta filmmaker, really, mm. when you look at it. The guy's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that movie again, but a redneck version of yeah. it. Starring some of today's more famous actors. Channing Tatum, yeah. Adam Driver, Daniel Craig. Who should have... Oh, he is Bond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. you know, they, they, I think... That I, I really, really like that movie. I, I saw it. it recently. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, I was talking to a few fans of this show who are friends of ours. Mm. Uh, Dita and Batesy. When I was logging in these movies on Letterboxd as our next movies on Total Reboot, they they commented, have you seen Logan Lucky? Logan Lucky better than Ocean's Eleven and stuff like that. It's definitely more charming in some yeah. way, in like a rough tumble way. I think I prefer Ocean's Eleven to Logan Lucky, but only slightly. I really yeah. enjoyed it. But you told me something that I didn't know. Uh, well, I think you kind of just hinted at it then. They, uh, you just said colloquial known as Ocean's 7-Eleven. Yeah. There's a part in the movie where Daniel Craig is back in prison after they've done the heist. Yeah. And he snuck back into prison. And there's a report on the TV about the heist. And the news reporter calls it Ocean's 7-Eleven in the news report. Yeah. She says, like, it's the hillbilly heist, also known as Ocean's 7-Eleven, which is... Wild, yeah, because that means Ocean's Eleven exists in this world. So, do you think that Ocean's Eleven, the movie, exists, or do you think the the robbery of Terry Benedict <laughs> <laughs> exists in the Logan Lucky? Universe? Well, what do you think? 
Well, I like to dream a little bit and think that maybe one day all these gangs can get together and yeah. pull the biggest heist in history, stealing the bones from Nicolas Cage's Tyrannosaurus <laughs> 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 Rex Museum in his own home. That would be awesome. That if would be awesome. If they get Logan Lucky, they get Danny Ocean, yeah. they get um, Sandra Bullock Ocean. Yeah, Sandra Ocean. And they get <laughs> Sandra Ocean. <laughs> and they get Nicolas Cage from Mad- National treasure to yeah. all rob the actual Nicolas Cage. That would be fucking that would rad. That would be so good. And then there's that a cameo be- by Tom Hanks as, what's his name from Angels and Demons? Um, da Vinci. Da Vinci. Robert. Robert Langdon. Da Vinci. Oh, yeah, Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon. Robert Langdon trying to solve Which, it all. Which, by the way, coolest name. I reckon they get Robert Langdon, they get Steve Martin as Inspector Clouseau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to all come in and try and solve it. Dude, yeah, that would be That's so cool. my dream. That's my dream as well. They get yeah. The Rock in there as well. And maybe the Sherlock boys. Oh, my God. Benedict Cumberbatch. Get Benedict Cumberbatch. Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock. (laughs) Martin Freeman as Watson. Jude Law as Watson. You get (laughs) Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock. Lucy Liu as As Watson. Watson. (laughs) They all come in trying to solve that shit as well. Holy Spicoli. Holy fucking shit. Look at Spicoli. Look at Spicoli. <laughs> Sean Penn's in there. Sean Penn's in there. As helping. a grown up Spicoli. Yeah, he's hanging out with the Casey Affleck. Or maybe he can replace Casey Affleck. With Spicoli. Yeah, with Spicoli. So it's Spicoli and Scott Kahn. Yeah. That's and they're awesome. like, we need a fucking genius to get this. Who's good at math? What about that good <laughs> I met guy? A young, I met a good boy in Boston. Yeah, what's, what's his name? He's good. He's good. We've got to go find him. Why don't we go hunt for this guy? And they send Linus to go look And all for they him. find is Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> Finding Forrester joins them. Yeah, I'd love to see that movie. God, that's my new it's cinematic the universe. Avengers Infinity War yeah. of... Lame <laughs> mid two thousands genius the, movies. Yeah, genius movies. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, that'd be sick. And it's all told by an aging Sherlock Holmes, Ian McKellen, really living his glory days. Oh, love that. Well, now let me ask you about mm-hmm. this upcoming uh, Ocean's Eight that we're going to yeah. be watching ASAP. Uh, <laughs> as soon as, as possible. As soon as is humanly possible. Yeah. ASHP. <laughs> SAHP. Yeah. Um. What do you know about this? Have you read anything about it yet? Well, all I really know is that I think it is set in Ocean's Eleven universe. I've heard this. I've heard he's uh, she's Danny Ocean's estranged estranged sister. sister. I I hope her name's Danielle Ocean. (laughs) Danielle Ocean. (laughs) Danielle Ocean. I didn't know. That's all I really know about it, and that it is an ensemble film. Uh They're getting the gang together, uh, and they rob the Met Gala. Yeah. Which I think is fucking exciting. I yeah, think they've perfectly cool. cast this movie, looking ahead to it. You've got Brad Pitt, surrogate, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. playing the rusty character. Yeah. And I think, I'm guessing Sarah Paulson is kind of being the bit of the Matt Damon. Yeah, I could see that. Mindy Kaling, comedy relief. So she's the Bernie Mac, I guess. Probably Bernie Mac. You got Rihanna. You yeah, got Acton Chino type. Aquafina, yeah. I don't know who that. She's a rapper. Also, you've got um, so probably um, perfectly cast villain Anne Hathaway. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway I is the Terry Benedict of this movie. Wow, and it's great because people have kind of turned on Anne Hathaway in mm. the last few years and want to see her get robbed. So yeah. she may as well lean into that. I'm ex- I'm genuinely very excited, especially after going through these movies with you now yeah. and really just 
really fucking enjoying what them. What do you want to see from this movie? What do you want to see from Ocean's 8? Well, it's directed by Gary Ross, who is famous for directing Pleasantville and The Hunger Games 1. So, Pleasantville uh, was EP'd by Soderbergh. Was it? Yeah. Well, I know Soderbergh worked on The Hunger Games franchise as well. He was the second unit director while he was retired on, I think, <sighs> Hunger Games sequels. He's a psycho. He's so, it's I so love bizarre. Him. It's amazing. <laughs> I, love I love that he does this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah. Second unit director. So they must so be. So you would have shot all this weird exterior shit. They would have just shot like the shots of <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman that they used after he sadly passed from this mortal coil. Tragically. By the way, the world is a coil. <laughs> <laughs> We're coil earthers yeah. here. Um, and so I think uh, I don't know. I'm really excited for it. I just hope it it. It plays with celebrity culture, the mm. Rat Pack culture that we like from these that's, films. I'm worried that it won't as much. Well, but- they've got the perfect cast to do it with. Yeah, that's true. You know, Sandra Bullock is so well cast as a Danny Ocean mm, Danielle sister. Ocean, <laughs> Danielle Ocean. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just keen for it. I think it's a great ensemble. What about you? I kind of want to see, like you, I want to see it really take up where Soderbergh left off by being a bit meta. Mm, I hope it's like a meta gala. I hope it's an early 2000s style movie. (laughs) I hope it's um, funny. I want to see all the tropes that you see in a heist movie. Gang getting together. The plan. The plan fucking up. You know, yeah. double crossing, triple crossing. I want to see all that shit. I'm glad it's out of the world of casinos as yeah, well. I think totally. that's exciting because, you know, that's what we're obsessed with now with celebrity culture is stuff arty, mm. bringing fashion arty together. Met Gala yeah. is perfect for it. Now, I heard a little rumor mm. that perhaps there's going to be a little more of a crossover between this. And oh, Ocean's don't want to hear it. But I assume it's ripe for cameos. It seems like it would right be, right? For I wonder I who they would it. get. I haven't heard who they're going to get, but yeah. I've heard that there might be a character from this movie crossing over. Really? Okay. I hope it's Bernie Mac. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Sadly. I'm so sorry to tell I you know, this. I know, I know, but that's why I'm hoping it's him and it's all been it's a all ruse. It's all been fake? It's all been fake. Because <laughs> Bernie Mac, I just love him. He's one of my favorite yeah. comedians ever. Oh, he's the king of comedy, he's man. He's so funny in this. He's so funny in Charlie's Angels too. He scared of you, motherfuckers. Full throttle. Oh, he's, he's not, great. He's it was so good. A joy in these movies. I think that was my real pleasure of revisiting these films was just seeing that great man, Bernie Mac, mm. just up on the screen, alive. was yeah. just great. It's crazy that it's not really a comedy character that he plays either. It's, no, it's he's a, just a con. Yeah. It's awesome. Oh, I love him. I love him. He was Bernie a great Mac. talent. He was taken from us too soon. Yeah. That's why I hope he comes back. I don't think he will. <laughs> Return of the Mac, that's all I'm saying. All right. Bring back the Mac. The Mac is back. (laughs) Baby, I hope so. So much fun to revisit that classic episode. I love the Oceans movies. I'm so glad we got to revisit them here today. And it was real funny to kind of see how much we ended up talking about Dog Day Afternoon in this episode as well. Next week, we're going to be talking about Dog Day Afternoon in full, at length, in depth. One of the best movies of all time. If you've never seen it, absolutely freaking catch up with it, babe. It is one of the freaking coolest heist movies. Coolest movies ever. I just love that film so much. I'm excited to talk about it. And in the meantime, 
Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I'm at This Is Lexi. Cameron's at I Am Cameron James and Total Reboot Pod or whatever on those as well. Because we are still picking what the rest of our movies in this miniseries will be, we'll be announcing them fairly soon as well across the socials. So stay tuned for that there. But you can maybe still influence us if you want to. Those are the places to do it if you want a heist movie that you in particular love to maybe make it on the list. Let us know there. Enjoy kicking off the heist movie miniseries with us. I can't wait to freaking crack the code. (laughs) 